Well, hello and welcome to QBD Book Club, the podcast. My name is Victoria Carthew and I hope you've got your running shoes on. You're going to need them today. Do you mind a little bit of a heart race? Do you mind getting that chest pumping? Because that's what happens when you read The Running Club by Ali Lowe. Let's have a listen. Hi, lovely to see you, Victoria. Thanks for having me. It can be strenuous and, and exerting, can't it, uh, reading a book? It can. It definitely can. That was the idea with this one. I wanted it to be a kind of fast-paced, uh, you know, romp of a read. This is the first time our crime clubbers have met you, but you're a writer who's had some great success so far, but kind of grew up knowing that that's what you wanted to be, that it was it was in you. Yeah, I did. I mean, my sister always tells me that I had a pen and paper sort of on the edge of the couch, whether I was watching TV or whatever I was doing, I always carried it around with me and put it on the side of the couch, which is, um, you know, quite nice. And I don't remember that at all, but I was always writing stuff. And then I did a degree which required me to write essays and, you know, did classics degree. Uh, back home in the UK and then did a journalism and degree postgrad. So it was always, I was always going in the direction of writing, obviously, um, but not writing novels. And that kind of came um, a little while after. You had a really, you know, a great career as a journo. Did, did you always think you'd make that leap or was that, were you just those, a lot of journos we know that collect their stories for their books along the way? Yeah, I think I was a story collector. Like I was always jotting things down in, in notepads then when I was sort of working as a journal. But I kind of hoped at some point I would um, become an author. But it's one of those things that you kind of, you know, it's a far away dream really. You think, oh, you know, I, don't, I wouldn't be able to do it. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have the patience and, you know, I wouldn't be good enough and all these kind of doubts plague you. Um, and then life gets in the way. I mean, I ended up having, um, a, you know, a job that I loved at OK Magazine in London, which was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. Um, and then I ended up moving to Australia with my then boyfriend, who became my husband, having three children, you know, having a, a, a job freelancing for various magazines. So it kind of get got put on the back burner, even though it was always in the back of my mind that it was something I might want to do. And then it was um, a combination of two things that made me actually do it in the end and take a writing course. And that was my editor at the Mossman Daily, Tim McIntyre, where I was freelancing. He read a story of mine and said, have you ever thought about writing a novel? And I thought, you know what? Yes, I have. And it kind of made me think, oh, well, actually, if someone in the industry thinks that I can write in that way, then maybe I should look into it. And um, and then I interviewed Jacqueline Moriarty, who's obviously a well-known author, and she um, recommended the course that I ultimately ended up doing. And so those two things kind of pushed me into it. And my son was then one. And, you know, I was kind of thinking, I need a bit of a, a bit of time for me. I know that Karen Main said that to you when she was um, on her doing her podcast, too. And um, and, you know, maybe it's a very common thing that when you have multiple children you kind of get to the point where you think actually I would quite like to take some me time now and do something that I've always wanted to do so I think it was a combination of those things that kind of pushed me into it and I'm so glad I did obviously. Isn't that an interesting thing too when you talk about me time what you've done is actually created a lot of work for yourself I mean it's a hard slog <laughs> yeah. writing a book but clearly that ability to immerse yourself in it and take yourself to another place is also it does count as me time. Oh, absolutely. It's it's like make-believe. It's, you know, you shut the door and you sit at a computer and you're living in a fantasy world that you've created and it takes you away from loading the dishwasher and, you know, putting a stack of washing on. And it kind of, you know, takes you into this world that's very strange, that's full of, you know, crazy people that aren't like you and, and, and murderous happenings and, and your imagination can really let go. And for me, that's been a real sort of meditation, really, a way of sort of escaping life as I know it. Not that I want to escape it all the time, but, you know, as a, a mother of 
with kids you kind of sometimes you do you know you kind of want to not think about walking the dog and you kind of want to think about doing something different and for me it's that kind of sense of escapism I mean obviously it's a lot of work putting a book together but it's been fantastic and I'm just loving every moment you had um and I'm wondering if the, the types of work you did in your journalism life if the stories you covered and the types of jobs you did led to you sort of writing down this path and these kind of genre because of what you saw and what you experienced as a as a journo well maybe I mean I did a lot of women's mags so that and and sort of celebrity stuff in my years in London so that was kind of probably didn't take me along the path to sort of domestic crime and thrillers but then I did work at the Manly Daily for two years and the Northern Beaches and did quite a, a fair bit of newspaper work and I think you're right that kind of that kind of you know, experience pushed me towards it. And also then I was writing feature stories for the um, the Mossman Day and the North Shore Times as in a freelance capacity. And kind of going from writing short news stories and short interviews to longer feature length stories was kind of, I guess, my first toe in the water of learning to stretch out copy and, and kind of add a bit of more description and, and pad it out. And I guess that was a stepping stone on the way to, to becoming an author awesome when I um, I remember when I read trivia night you know it was such a oh you know you're wondering who those people are and how you know them what did you learn from that process that you've taken into into these stories about I guess character development and what you're going to do oh well I suppose in the trivia night I I didn't really know where I was going with it and I started writing my characters came as the book progressed I the only one I had was Amanda and and I didn't have any of the others and then they sort of came and when they really developed was when I changed from third to first person and when I was writing you know in the first person I, I just found it so much easier to imagine I was in their shoes and to kind of get into their heads and I suppose that's something I've taken taken with me um as I've gone along you know with Carol in the running club at Freya and and you know I, I went into first for that and and really enjoyed it um and I think I've just learned you, you know things I should you know more about describing and showing and not telling and, and in in a bid to kind of make my characters more well-rounded but god I've still got a lot to learn I mentioned um I mentioned oh, I should say now this is my copy of the running club because I get to get it early before it's on our bookshelf so behind you is the very fabulous real cover and it is I think what I love about this, it's set in a, in a beachside place. It is, oh, look at yours. That's gorgeous. Um, that is just so quintessentially Australian. And, yeah. you know, when you look at that, you think, oh, I'm I'm there. I can be there because for so many Australians, that life at the beach and, and beachside towns is kind of it. So it's a very smart move. Oh, thank you. Well, I wish I could claim responsibility for that beautiful cover, but it's nothing to do with me. But, yeah, it's, it's really lovely. I'm really, really proud of it. So you don't need to be a runner or mad about health and fitness. This the the premise of the running club is very much about the competitive nature of the characters in the book. Um, and it, the idea is, am I right? It came to you in sort of COVID times. How you came up with the, the idea of this people running laps? Yeah, it was just um, it was quite random actually. I went with my little boy who was what two two ish then um, in twenty twenty. Um, went and did a lap of my local park just to get some fresh air and I remember sitting there watching this group of runners kind of socially distanced running um, and it looked so miserable and at one point one of them looked back and gave a look to another one and I was thinking oh imagine if she's actually married to the one in front but she's 
you know, maybe having a fling with the one behind or or perhaps they knew each other from high school and they really hate each other. They don't look very happy. My mind just kept going, whirring around this idea of these runners and this wealthy community and, and, you know, what I could do with them all. And I went home and said to my husband, I really want to write a book about a group of runners who all kind of have this weird kind of intermingled histories. And he was like, okay. I think he was kind of thinking, where on earth does her go? What is she doing with this one? Um, But yeah, they came to me quite sort of a a lot easier than than the characters in the trivia night, actually. I kind of, I really enjoyed nutting these guys out because they're all a bit bonkers um, and they're all very sort of materialistic, but yet under the surface, there's a lot more going on. So I just absolutely loved it. Really enjoyed these characters. Isn't that fascinating that you from from just seeing some folks on a track who are actually not being together, your mm. mind went, ooh, okay, where can I go? Yeah, it was very strange. I think maybe I'd just been inside too long with COVID and I was just like, I need to get out and use my imagination. So funny, you know, because I, I do remember during those times we talked about the, the, when the time would come when you can't avoid writing about this time, moment in time without including COVID in your books or that sort of thing. But actually the offshoots of that have been marvellous ideas like yours and that people have had to think about things differently. Oh, thank you. Well, I mean, I don't know whether, um, you know, my... Um, I, I, I think that I hopefully like to think I would have come up with an idea um, otherwise, but I know a lot of people who've had, had writer's block during that time. So there were de- definitely times where I was kind of, you know, oh gosh, you know, I, I really need to just, my creativity is really stumped by this, but then I just try and get outside and and I would like to say go for a run, but I'm not a runner, <laughs> but go for a walk. And and that, that creativity did sort of come back, but um, really I've learned that it's the great outdoors that kind of inspires me a bit. So um, yeah. So the book opens with, so I'm not giving anything away here by saying the book opens with a murder, but it's uh, a long time till we know who actually was has passed away. You really tease us out, don't you? Uh, yeah, well, I wanted to provide a bit of a, you know, a real kind of draw you in at the beginning and then see. But I also really like this idea of people knowing that something's going to happen, but not knowing who it's going to happen to and, um, you know, stringing them along. And um, I didn't want to do it for too long because I didn't want people to get bored. Um, but I wanted you know people just think oh which one's it going to be is it going to be her or him or her I think I give it away actually in the prologue that it's a woman but um yeah I I just uh, wanted to eke that out a bit as I did with the whodunit part which is the second part of the book well I have to say for folks that when you tune in it's it's unlike a lot of novels you don't get this kind of descriptive but it's great because you give us the 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 um the the before the then and the and the, the after but each chapter is actually a different character so we've got these women who are central to the story and we get to meet them and it's a great way to introduce your characters oh thank you yeah I, I was just um I, I think I probably did that a bit for myself actually because I was having quite short chapters each in a different voice and that really helps me get to know who they are and I'm also aware that some people don't like super long chapters and, and and some people like to go from one person's head to another. And I certainly do when I read a book. So I think that's what kind of got me on, on that track of short chapters and, and lots of different um, voices intermingled. So set it up for us. We're in Esperance, which is a very privileged, uh, very much a pri- you know privileged backdrop, uh, beachside town. And these four women and who are very, as you said, intermingled backgrounds, don't they? They do. So um, Lottie and Shelby are twins. Um, Lottie is very sort of anxious. She's a real sort of Stepford wife. She's very into this idea of perfection and that she has to be the perfect wife for her husband, Piers, who's 
you know, quite a, a man's man. Shelby, she was born on a Tuesday. So I was kind of thinking of that um, old, I'm um, sorry, no, she was Wednesday. I was thinking of that old rhyme that's Monday's child's fair of face, Tuesday's child's full of grace, Wednesday's child is full of woe. So I liked the idea that Shelby was the twin that was born on the Tuesday, full of grace. And Lottie was the one that was born on Wednesday and is full of woe. Um, and these twins are very different. Shelby's very confident. She's very sexy. She's very sassy. Everyone's a little bit scared of her and what she can do, what power she wields because of her sort of great beauty. Um, and the story really focuses around these two women and their relationship with each other, but also their relationship with other people in the running club. And there are Freya, who is a friend from school. And then there's Carol, who's the queen bee in Esperance. Oh, isn't she just? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Oh my goodness, I had so much fun writing Carol. I, I love Carol, I've got such a soft spot for Carol. Um, but um, yeah, so Carol grew up in Esperance, born and raised, she's an heiress. And Lottie and Shelby grew up in Shivers Beach, which is kind of like a poverty kind of stricken area of the peninsula, the very different ends of the peninsula. And they kind of moved up in the world to live where they live. And Freya kind of hovered between the two. She started out in Esperance and her father became wealthy. And then she, um, sorry, she started out in Shivers Beach and then moved up to Esperance when her, her father got a new job. So these women are kind of all tied together like with Freya basically and with school their school days in high school so the story kind of runs through the past tense with Shelby talking about how they all interacted in high school and the rest of it is set in the present tense so you realize as the book progresses how the high school years really did impact life as it is you know for all of them today and how the secrets that they take with them from the high school days and the people that they loved and loathed in the high school days kind of had an impact on 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 what happens to this one central character in, in the current day such an interesting um way to look at female friendship i have an amazing group of friends and i'm guessing you do too and you just think oh gosh how could you have survived with women like this around you I know, I know. And I kind of like the idea that all these women are quite awful, but at the end of the day, they do come together to kind of solve this crime. And they do, you know, some of them do redeem themselves, not all. Um, and for me, I've got a very close-knit group of friends. And I wanted that to be a big thing that even though sometimes, you know, women can be pitted against each other in certain circumstances, at the end of the day, women the greatest ally. And, you know, certainly the women in my life um, are so important to me and so precious. And with the um, running club, I have a very close group of school friends with my children are at school. The mums are, um, you know, there's four of us that are very close. And I kind of wanted to show that in the trivia night as well, that at the end of the day, it's when women come together that magic happens um, and they can solve anything, basically. And, and even though these women in my fictional worlds don't always like each other and they, you know, they do have their ups and downs, but at the end of the day, there is this big sense of togetherness. It's that time of year. Our catalogue is out now for the mums and the other great women in your life. A book absolutely is the gift that keeps on giving. It gives that woman in your life, your mum, your grandma, your carer, time out. I reckon they've earned it. So take a look at the QBD Mother's Day catalogue out now. And I'm hoping that your friends are not looking over their shoulder, wondering if any of their character traits have made it into the book. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they're all worried that I was making some commentary about them all being swingers when I wrote the trivia night. So <laughs> yes. They, I had to put an apology in the back of the book to, to some of the, my friends and their husbands because they were all saying to me, oh, no, Ali, you know, everyone's going to think we're a bunch of swingers. I was like, no, no. Anyone who knows me knows I'm far too boring for that. But... <laughs> 
<laughs> do you, um, I'm interested when you're writing, you talked about the short chapters and how you get to know them. Are you a, a whiteboard kind of writer? I mean, do you have those characters up there mapped out and who's going to get which traits? Or do they, does that sort of just evolve for you? Um, well, this is kind of a whiteboard, I don't know if you can see, but it never gets used. Things get stuck to it in blue tack. Um, I'm not a planner at all. Um, I do not have the ability in my brain to plan anything on paper. I can't use spreadsheets. I can't use Scrivener. I'm terrible like that. I just sit down at Word and I just write. And then usually that means I have to lose a few thousand words along the way. Um, but I, I just... I cannot plot the life of me. I mean, sometimes I will have character traits, but they're just written in a notebook. And it's only things like, you know, Shelby has brown eyes because I'll literally, as I'm writing, because I don't plan meticulously at all, I'll suddenly think to my, I'll suddenly write, oh, Shelby's got blue eyes. And I have to kind of, you know, I, I don't want those inconsistencies. So I have to go back and look in my notes, but that's pretty much all I do in terms of planning. I think with the running club, um, I had, yeah, I had pictures of celebrities up on yeah. the wall, like people that, you know, inspired me. Um, but then they changed, you know, like I remember watching Succession, which I absolutely love, <laughs> and seeing Sarah Snook, you know, the um, Australian actress who plays the daughter. I can't remember what her name is now. But um, she was just brilliant. I remember thinking she would be a really, really good Carol. But now I'm watching Yellowstone and I'm like, the daughter in Yellowstone would be a great Carol. So I'm just, you know, I get these ideas in my head and then a picture gets ripped down and another one gets stuck up. You know, I'm quite sort of fickle with whom, who I think my characters are based on what they might Wow. Love. So if you're doing a bathroom reno, I think you need to be really careful because I know. Well, the you know, at the last minute. Don't talk to my husband about that because yeah, we, we just did a reno and it was a nightmare. <laughs> so how do you allocate the men because the men in this book are kind of integral in a in not in the way you may expect yeah um I think the men were definitely harder to create that's for sure um I've realized that I I, I definitely find it quite hard to get in, inside a man's psyche but I just wanted to I guess Max was Max and Piers are the main male characters in the book and I just wanted to make sure that they are they were both materialistic that was really important to me to show that materialism in these men um, and as part of their character flaws um, but aside from that again they were not particularly planned it was just a case of writing in their voice and suddenly thinking oh I'm beginning to get to know you or maybe you would you would definitely have a Maserati or you definitely yeah. have a wristwatch like this. Or maybe you'd have six wristwatches because this is how materialistic you are. And this is the way you would react to Carol when she puts her arms around you. And this is, you know, what you would do when you see your daughter. You know, there was there were things that I just learned about these men as I as I um, as I went along. And, and yes, they both have redeeming characters like the women, but um, probably not as much. Um, but yeah, definitely harder to write. You mentioned um, before that, you know, coming from different towns, we had them from Esperance, from, from Shiver's Beach, that social hierarchy was really powerful, wasn't it? And it can be, you know, in, in particularly in smaller towns. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't base Shiver's Beach on anywhere in particular. I just kind of had this idea of this town that was very sort of, you know, kind of poverty stricken and that it was at the end of this pen peninsula that kind of as you went up it in a bus, which I think Shelby does at the beginning of the book, you know, starts out as this really yellow, a place with yellowing grass and, you know, rusty fences and stuff like that. But as you go up the peninsula, the houses get bigger and bigger until you end up at Esperance. And I really like the idea of physically driving from the sort of rougher end to the smoother, but also these people doing the same journey in their lives, kind of, you know, hopping up the peninsula from this place that they were born, that they 
you know, that wasn't good enough for them um, to this place of aspiration that they used to go on the bus as a child and, um, you know, and kind of imagine that they might live in one day. It's interesting too, because, you know, there's always been that kind of divide, rich and poor and, 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 and poverty and, and wealth, but we see it so much now, you know, people are looking on their social media there and it's so much more that kind of aspirational thing it's there like it's in your face so much more than perhaps in you know a generation ago yeah I think so but I think maybe you know I've I've exaggerated it for the, for the sake <laughs> of drama you know I don't think that there are that many places that are as sort of as wealthy and snobbish and white picket fancy as as Esperance and you know there are a few places that I had in the back of my mind but I've really ramped up the ante in terms of you know taking these places and putting them on steroids I mean it's a ridiculous place to live but also I kind of like the idea of a, of a ridiculous place like this and all these crazily materialistic people that probably don't exist in real life, but in this kind of mystery place they do. Oh, I reckon they exist. I'm sure they're out there. I <laughs> love also that when you talked about how much you love Carol, I mean, these these women were living these lives where all of these little things were so important, but they mm. just kind of ignored the the important stuff underneath. They just didn't couldn't see down there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about the clothes and the cars and the nails and the you know, the Botox and the, all that kind of stuff. It, that's literally their lives. And that was Carol's life before, you know, that was her parents' lives because she's living in the house that her parents gave to her and Max um, when they were married. So for her, that's all she's ever known. Whereas the other guys, they've experienced kind of, you know, living slightly more hand to mouth and um you know and I think that's why they're like, we're getting out of this town. We're we're going. And um Shelby I think has a foot in either in both camps basically you know she's very much still a shivers beach girl and doesn't really care about esperance that much she's just kind of you know kind of found herself there she's like well you know why not there's money here kind of thing whereas lottie is you know scrapped away up there and 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 so is freya in some respects you know so and definitely the men have the men for max it was always a question of getting there getting out of this town getting out of shivers beach and going to where the money was and that's a big integral um, you know question the whole book is you know why why is he doing this and why did he leave it behind because there were certain things and people in Shiver's Beach that meant a lot to him so why did he leave them there to to make his way up to this sort of perfect place and you know what does that say about him and did you get to do a little bit of like cruising around fabulous beachside mansions to check out so you could really describe those houses um not really but I do live in on the northern beaches so there, there are a few spots that may have inspired and then you know in the lower north shore and I've been uh you know going to spots around there um so yeah it was I mean I wouldn't say it was inspired by that but I mean you know it is the you know there are some sort of beautiful big houses around there and you know you do kind of think oh they've got French shutters oh maybe Carol would have French shutters you know and oh they've got a you know Wimbledon style lawn in different types of green oh I think Carol would have that you know so definitely there's inspiration but you kind of pick that up anywhere I've actually there is a line about Wimbledon and I um <laughs> that keeps coming back to my brain yeah very clever little moments you know a lot of authors say when they write they don't ever think about it on the screen or what it would look like but the fact that you sort of can relate some characters in your book to different actors or actresses means that you do you can imagine it it's an interesting way to write isn't it to know that there's how it might look yeah, well, I always had, um, I mean, everyone wants a Hemsworth, don't they? But I always had Chris Hemsworth in mind for Max. I just, I thought he would just be amazing. You know, this rugged kind of handsome man, um, you know, who Carol adores. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's always in the back of your mind. 
Yeah, absolutely love it. And I, I imagine that, so the running club, my version, your version, is out and about, you know, about to hit the shelves and it's out and about, but you're probably already riding on to the next one, aren't you? So you've got your brain in two camps. Well, actually, I've just done my structural edits for number three um, and my agent has number four. So, yeah, I've because um, I, I signed another two book deal recently. So um, with my publisher, which is Hodder, which is great. So it's very exciting to know that there's three and four coming out as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of well underway with them. So sometimes I find myself getting a bit sort of forgetful about names. And I realized the other day that I have um, a Morella, a Luella and an Estella. So oh. I think I, I've obviously got some kind of subliminal, like, um, I don't know, some kind of underlying obsession with, uh, maybe I've listened to too much Rihanna umbrella or something. And it's <laughs> umbrella. My head. Yeah, exactly. I just, I like an Ella name. What can I say? So yeah, I did get my, myself confused a bit when I've kind of got, you know, lots of plates up in the air. Absolutely. Well, that sounds like a lot of me time if, uh, you know, we're talking about two and three and four are on the run as well. So yeah, exactly. Fine. Mummy has to write. Sorry, mummy has to write. <laughs> well, congratulations. I think it's going to be, I mean, I just think that cover is people are going to grab that for the beach uh, or, you know, to tuck up and away with them. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. And I think there's going to be uh, a lot of people talking about these women at book clubs for some time to come. So congratulations, Ali. And, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Victoria. Thanks so much to having me, for having me. Thank you for your company today on QBD Book Club, the podcast. We'll talk again soon.